Thank you, worship team, for the great reminder that it's only through our Christ, who is our Lord and Savior, only through what is written in the precepts of his word, that not only are we saved by his everlasting grace, but also with that salvation to which he has given to us, has given to us and has empowered us to change. It's as Paul said, yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. It's one of those perplexing paradoxes that you would see uh, in Scripture. Well, I, uh, I'm going to jump right to it um, because this is quite a sobering um, chapter that we're going to be dealing with. I'm sure that many of you are familiar with our theme of hope for everyday life. Hope for us is not seen outside of the cross. No, hope for the believer is seen in the person of Jesus Christ, yes? And the reality of our being made new in him through repentance and also comes the washing away of our sins. You know, one pastor said it well, that on the cross, God looked at Christ and saw you. Now he looks at you and sees Christ. And so my hope and your hope truly began for the cross for all of us who live and move and have our being in him. When we first saw the light and the burden of our hearts rolled away, and what follows is upon salvation and after salvation is this steady persistence of growing in grace and knowledge, which seems appropriate since it's taken from one of the theme verses that occur right at the end of, of this letter. You know, Second Peter chapter 3 says this. It says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. You know, the apostle had good reason for writing the things that he did in lieu of the larger situation of the context for which he's writing to, because he's writing to believers who are being persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ, but it's the, it was that kind of persecution that had landed upon the shores of their lives. It was a peculiar kind, perhaps, to which was new to them, and oh, how it crept in, unaware, brought about by false purveyors of truth, false purveyors of those who name the name of Christ, but by their deeds they deny him. They brought in false teaching in the church. And so Peter penned his letter to the churches that were scattered in order to address the eternal doom of these false teachers most notably in chapter 3, he addressed the believer's duty, what the believer's duty is in light of these false teachers, and also what is to come in the future, that is the day of the Lord. And for perhaps those of you who may not be familiar with that phrase, that phrase, the day of the Lord, it's an eschatological phrase with reference to a period of time in which our Lord will systematically judge the world which is unfolding for us, and you could actually look at the book of Revelation, that you could say, big picture is the day of the Lord. He will have his day upon the earth. He will judge the world for 
It's sin. But to the believer, he will not do that because we have been washed and cleansed under the cross. And I mean, we can look at what Peter said to the church in verse 17. He says, you therefore, beloved, 2 Peter chapter 2, knowing this beforehand, he says, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled, note that, unprincipled men. Unprincipled, athenas in the Greek, and it refers to a person who is unrestrained in his mind. It refers to a person who's unrestrained in his conduct. He's unrestrained in his impulses. He's unrestrained in his lawlessness. If a person is unrestrained in their mind, it will follow that he's unrestrained in his conduct. Don't be carried away by these false teachers because they will carry you away from the gospel and to your eternal doom. That's what's going on. You will have zero hope of the Lord's return for you. You will have no hope of any glorious union with Christ and the saints to eternal life with God the Father. I mean, just how serious was this threat Upon the church of Jesus Christ, well, I mean, you had these false teachers. They denied three things. Three things. They denied the person of Jesus Christ. That's 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Not only that, but they denied the, the Scriptures. If you deny the person of Jesus Christ, it follows you will deny what the Scripture says about Jesus Christ. And then number three, they denied that he was coming to judge the earth. They denied that he was coming to judge the earth. And what these purveyors of falsehood taught was not germane or belonging to the teachings of Scripture at all. And worse, it was a twisting of God's Word itself to tickle the fancy of those who would listen to them. And so in the first chapter, there was an emphasis in the rejoicing in the beauty and the purity of the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who have received the faith of the same kind as ours. This is what he's talking about. To those who have received the, the, the faith of the same kind of, as ours by the righteousness, I can't say that, right? <laughs> righteousness of God, our Savior, <laughs> Jesus Christ. In contrast to the false teachers who carry about a different gospel. It's a different gospel. Now it's interesting because the first part of Peter's statement reads this way in the Greek. It read, read, just literally it reads this way. To those who have obtained a, an equally precious faith as ours. End quote. In other words, what Peter had, the apostles had, what you and I have is a very precious faith that was given to us. It's precious. It's the pearl of great price if you will, was given to Peter, the apostles, and every people of God, past, present, and those who were appointed salvation in the future. We were given by God a very oh-so-precious faith that has, been, that has got to be safeguarded. You've got to safeguard the truth of the gospel and that in the faith that we've received 
from God is something that we have obtained by him, and it's not something that we have earned by our own human merit. It's not something that you or I could really work for at all, lest anyone should boast, right? Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 10. And so what was going on is that you had these false purveyors of truth. They were threatening the very core of the faith once and for all delivered to the saints, and they sought to replace it with their own message, and ultimately that kind of message appealed to their own impulses. It appealed to their own sinful desires, and they would want someone like you or me to follow them in falsehood. And so Peter, he's writing from prison, is deeply concerned to the churches, to the believers. He's concerned. And he began to remind God's people about what they were taught. And he says this, look, I will always be ready to remind you of these things. What? Gospel truths. What, what I, he's taught the churches. I'll always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them. You already know what I've already taught you. I've taught you these things. You know them. just want to remind you. And having been established in the truth which is present with you, I consider it right as long as I am in this, earth, this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of what? By way of reminder. By way of reminder. That's to say the truth of God. <laughs> I mean, I think we can all agree with this, right? The truth of God always bears repetition in our hearts, right? It always bears repetition upon fallen hearts. It's no different really than what the author of the Hebrews would, would say, right? He's told this in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 12. He says, look, I, I don't want you to be sluggish. Don't be sluggish about what you know. Don't be sluggish or lazy, but be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Who's inheriting the promises? You. Believers in the past, present, and those who are appointed salvation in the future. So since you and I are benefactors of the gospel of grace, having received the promises of God, don't become lazy or sluggish about what you believe and why you believe it because you must endeavor to grow in the grace and knowledge of what you already know. Another, deepen your theological bench, right? Deepen your theological bench because if you don't deepen your theological bench, you will not readily recognize falsehood when it creeps in because it's so subtle. And our Lord is granted to us, right? He's granted to us everything that pertains to life and godliness. He's, he's, he's given that to us. And so Peter goes on to say what I just said to you. Look, don't be sluggish. Don't forget. I want you to know that his divine power has given to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Everything, everything that we have through the divine revelation of God which I want you also to know and also to be reminded that the prophecy, that the scripture that you have, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. You have false purveyors of truth that are given their interpretation, but what I'm telling you, this is not of one's own interpretation because no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. That's what he's saying. In contrast to the false teachers and their false message. And so we're talking about discerning false teaching, right? We're talking about discerning false teaching. And in the time that we have remaining for, for today, 
if I can find the, the three necessary actions to guard. There it is right there. Three necessary actions to guard against spiritually being deceived, discerning false teaching, discerning false teaching. You know, if you don't mind, let me go ahead and just read 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. I kind of skipped that real quick, but let's just set the context because I, I, I just want you to understand this. He said, prophets arose among the people, just as it is today, right? Prophets arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their what? Their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you. They'll exploit the church. They'll exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle. And their destruction is not asleep. And so I want you to leave here having some sense of being able to discern false teaching. Three necessary actions toward to guard against being spiritually deceived. You know, I can be deceived. You can be deceived. It's possible that we can be deceived. And so I want you to understand and be aware of the reality of false teachers. Be aware of the reality of, re- reality of false teachers. The times are evil, my friends. The times are so evil, especially in this day that we're living. The spirit of the age is strong in our day and age. You know, Peter said, but false prophets also rose among the people. False teachers will lead a person away from the truth of the gospel to get you to believe that which is opposed to the face of Christ. Well, you could ask the question, well, why? Why would, they, why would they even do anything like that? And I think the answer is simple, because they want to live how they want to live. They want to live how they want to live, do what they want to do, say what they want to say, live how they want to live, and they will want you to live that way as well. They would want you to live the way that they live as well. False prophets... False teachers have always existed throughout the dawn of time. They have always carried a teaching that always lowered the person of Jesus Christ. Always lowered the person of Jesus Christ. The more that they depreciated who he was, the less demand that he has upon my life or your life, you see. The more you depreciate the person of Jesus Christ, the more, the less demand that he has upon my life. And we know what 2 Timothy chapter 3 says, right? We know that all Scripture is inspired by God. It comes from above. It's inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching, for for rebuke, for correction, for what? Training in what? Training in righteousness. It's a particular conduct that comes with the Scriptures. With knowing Christ and Ultimately, these false teachers, little by little, depreciated Scripture itself. And false teachers ultimately don't receive the clear teaching of what the Word of God provides. They don't receive the rebuke upon their lives that Scripture bears upon their sensual living. They don't receive the correction necessary toward training and becoming more holy in their living. I mean, after all, you know, when Paul was released from prison— He began 
revisiting some of the churches in Ephesus. And there were some problems going on with false teaching, and Timothy was having some trouble, and so Timothy needed Paul's help, and so he was, Paul was going to help Timothy address those issues. And so Paul was making preparations to see young Timothy. And so in his first letter to Timothy, he says, look, in, in case I'm delayed, I, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. In other words, there is a kind of conduct that Christians have, not perfect, right? Remember, progressive sanctification, not the perfection of your life, but the direction of your life. There is a particular conduct befitting towards sons and daughters of light. And there's also a lifestyle or conduct that is befitting towards those purveyors of darkness. I mean, that's why Jude could speak. That's why he said what he said. He says, the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints, handed down to the saints, the Lord has preserved throughout the dawn of time, reliable teachers, reliable prophets, if you will, who were used by God to record his word. And that is why we have God's word today. Because they were faithful in their conduct, faithful to proclaim and to pass down what the word of God says. Now, all of that is very good until you get to chapter 2, verse 1. But false prophets. You know, false teachers have been around again for a long time. Their dark history is clearly highlighted in the Old Testament. You can go to the Old Testament. Their history is recorded all over the place. Their history is recorded all over the place in Scripture. But false prophets also arose what? Where? Among the people. Among you and I. They arose among these kinds of ranks. And so we look back to the role of false teaching that has always played a role in the economy of God from the beginning, beginning with Satan himself, whom the Apostle John described as the father of lies. You know, Jesus said of of Satan, I saw Satan fall like lightning. And those who follow Satan or false teaching are imitating what their father believes. It all comes from Satan, false teaching, false purveyors of truth. It all comes from him. Remember in, in Genesis chapter 3, right? Remember what happened with Adam and Eve? And how Satan deceived Eve and Adam went along for the ride, so to speak, right? And it, but Adam and Eve were, 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 were what? They fell to what? Something that was false. False, right? Remember in Genesis chapter 3, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty, right? Crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed has God said. And then you have a few verses later. Satan told Eve, You won't surely die. Right? And we all know what happened with that, right? We all know what happened. I mean, even the rankest unbeliever who has a cursory understanding of the book of Genesis can tell you what happened. They can tell you what happened. Adam and Eve 
decided whether to believe truth or what? Truth or falsehood. Something that was false. Yeah. And the same holds with regards to Peter, who would want God's people to be aware of this reality. False teaching is as ancient as time. It's as ancient as time. It goes all the way back to the garden. It was all the way around in the nation of Israel's earliest days. Remember in Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 5, it says, but, the, but that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death. That's how serious it was. Because he was, has counseled rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery to seduce you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from among you. I mean, even in the days of Moses, even in the days of, of Moses, the, in the initial organization of the nation of Israel, while preparing them to enter the promised land, false teachers were a, were a threat to the nation of Israel, even in that day. When, listen, when God spoke to Israel, the nation, that they would be held captive for 70 years, what happened? False prophets arose to contradict what God's word said, and, he, and they told the nation of Israel that you're not going to be in captivity for 70 years. You're going to be in captivity for two years. Anybody remember that? Jeremiah 28, 11, he had Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people saying, thus says the Lord. Even so, I will break within two full years the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all the nations. I mean, blatant, just absolutely blatant. False teaching. False teaching is, is it, it's always very popular. It's always very popular to the tongue, to the ears, the eyes, because it appeals to so many because it tells people what they want to hear. And oh, by the way, does anybody remember what happened to that prophet, Hananiah? Remember what happened? Jeremiah 28. Then Jeremiah, the prophet, said to to Hananiah the prophet, listen now. <laughs> it's like, oh boy. God is speaking. The Lord, the Lord hasn't sent you. And you have made this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord. Now I am speaking, in other words. Thus says the Lord. Look, I'm about to remove you from the face of the earth. This year you are going to die. In other words, you're, de- you're a dead man. Because you have counseled rebellion against the Lord. So Hananiah the prophet died in the same year in the seventh month. The Lord killed him. The Lord killed him. Does that give you a sense of how the Lord views falsehood? Those who speak falsely in his name, twist, twisting the message of grace. Does that give you a sense of how serious he takes false teaching? in my life or your life? And Peter was right. False prophets also arose among the people historically, and we were warned by our Lord about false teaching as well as throughout the church age to the present. False prophets were walking on the earth even during the lifetime of Jesus Christ, our Lord. (laughs) Jesus gave the strongest anathemas to false teachers. The strongest, strongest anathemas to false teachers. 
In, Matthew, in Mark, rather, chapter 12, he said, in his teaching, he was saying, look, beware, look out, be on the look out for the scribes who, who like to walk around in long robes and like respectful greetings in the marketplaces and the chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets who devour widows' houses. There it is. They devour you. They will devour you with what they say, what they teach. They will devour you. And for appearance's sake, offer long prayers. Oh, they will receive greater condemnation. Greater condemnation. Now, some of you might, might ask why the Lord allows for this. I mean, why in the world would, would, would the Lord even allow for false teaching just for one moment or one nanosecond, one minute or five minutes or, or however long you want to put it? Well, there's actually a particular scripture reference for that. And that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 19, where Paul says, look, there must also be divisions among you. There will be divisions in the church among you. And then he gives a reason why. There's a purpose clause in the Greek. So that those who are approved may become evident to you. That's the point. That's the point. In other words, just give it some time. People will introduce false teaching. And it may be confusing at first. But give it some time. They will end up leaving the church, and then they will, you will see them for who they really are. You'll see them for who they really are. And so the Lord allows false teaching, for a time anyway, right? To stretch our theological what? Our muscles, right? To determine what you and I believe about what the Word of God says is true, and that happened throughout the Old Testament, right? All the way, clearly, to the life of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, false teachers will always be present. Their present reality in the church. False prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, among us. You know, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus had chosen to reveal to Peter that he was going to help build the church. And you read that in the book of Acts, the building of the church. And Peter and the and the rest of the apostles, they did, they, that's exactly what they did. They did just that. Now that Peter has done that, he's fulfilled his purpose. He, he's, 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 he's nearing the end of, of his ministry. His ministry is about to, to, to close, if you will. He's faced with the reality of his impending death. But there are attacks upon the church by false teachers. Attacks upon the church by false teachers. And he recognizes them by what they say about Christ, by how they depreciate Christ by their life of sensuality, he recognizes their, their methodology. Recognize a false teacher's methodology. Recognize the false teacher's method. What is their method? Why do they do what they do, right? What's their method? They will secretly introduce destructive heresies. That's sinister. False teachers, in other words, they will incrementally Little by little, here a little, there a little. They will incrementally bring in their false teaching, but they won't do it openly. They won't do it openly. They do it under the radar, slipping in their false teaching here a little, there a little. They've joined the church. They hold major positions of, of, of leadership, like in Jesus' day, the, the, the robes and everything like that. They're attracted to teaching positions, because they want to yield influence among the people. Know their methodology. 
know their methodology. They want to yield influence. What about the extent of their ministry? What do they do? Know their extent. Know what they do. Know their extent. However you want to say that. They will introduce destructive heresies. And then it says this, even denying the master who bought him. And just note that, that, that phrase, that word heresies, is in the plural. In the Greek, it's in the plural. Denotes an opinion, especially a self-willed opinion, which is substituted for submission to the power of truth and leads to division and the formation of sex, right? They separate. The wolf comes in among the flock and just scatters, right? Heresies. In other words, they're not just going to introduce one false teaching, but several false teachings, just a number of them. I mean, just how destructive was their espousal of heresy? It's such that it is a tacit denial of the master who what? Bought them. And what Peter's doing, that's an analogy, by the way. That's an analogy of what happened in the book of Exodus. Maybe you remember that in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy if you can say that name, right? In Deuteronomy chapter 32, we read that God had redeemed Israel. He purchased them, bought his people. That language, the language of purchasing, buying. He bought his people out of Egypt. But many of those who were in Israel were ungrateful. Remember that? Oh, how I wish I'd gone back to Egypt to eat those good onions. Oh, Lord, why did you say Moses, Moses, Moses? Right? Remember that? A lot of them were ungrateful. And then they began to turn against Moses and the leadership. Many of them did not give God <clears throat> their hearts. Many of them. A number of them weren't saved. Many of them began to speak against the Lord <clears throat> and against Moses, against those who were faithful. In other words, despite their claims to believing in Yahweh, despite their claims in believing in the Lord, their deeds were highlighted that they really didn't belong to the Lord at all by their deeds. And so it was these false teachers in, in, in Peter's day and ours, despite their claim to know Christ, their false teaching about who Christ was and how they lived their life contradicted any claim of being truly bought, you see? They really weren't truly bought. They weren't bought from the, markets, the marketplace. And the, in other words, they were enslaved by the marketplace. They were enslaved by their own deception, by their own false teaching. They taught others that they can live however they want to live, and Christ is okay with that. Christ is okay with however you want to live. That's a really popular message, Right? It's a really popular message in this day and age, in, this, in the spirit of the age. It's in essence, it's, it's what it is, this, the gajikta. It's the spirit of the age. It's the message that is opposed to the face of Jesus Christ. I believe that Jesus is Lord. I believe that Jesus is God, but he's not Lord of my life. He's not Lord over my life. You see that? You see how subtle it is? It just kind of leads to another obvious question for all of us. How are you... How concerned are you really? How cautious are you in the presence of false teaching? How concerned are you about it? Are you aware of it? 
Because we ought to be. We ought to be concerned about the response to false teaching. It says this, many will follow their sensuality. That's, that's the operative word. Many will follow their sensuality. Many will follow their sensuality. One of the primary characteristics of a false teacher is that they encourage a lifestyle of immorality and licentiousness. They encourage a lifestyle of immorality and licentiousness. The way they live is pernicious. It's pernicious. It's malevolent. It's under the radar. It's under the cover of darkness because they understand that the light exposes their sinful, perhaps even criminal, activity. Their sensuality is their M.O., Their sensuality is their M.O., all the while honoring Jesus Christ with their lips. Even in the secular marketplace, our culture and society, my goodness, good night, is blanketed by false teaching. It's blanketed by false teaching. I mean, if you'd like to do a study on this subject, I would really encourage just a number of books. This is one. This is a heavy, (laughs) this is a heavy read. One of the books is called The Rise and Fall of the Modern Self. The Rise and Fall of the Modern Self. It really is a really helpful article that summarizes the book itself. On the Nine Marks website, it's entitled, A Summary of Carl Truman's The Rise and the Triumph of Modern Self, A Cultural Amnesia, Expressive Individualism, and the Road to Sexual Revolution. Truman also wrote a summary of The Rise and Fall entitled The Strange New World. By the way, I, mean, I have that book in my office. If you want to borrow it, you can if you want to. You could just find a summary of that book, again, really on the, on the Nine Marks website. And there's other, you know, reliable places like the Gospel Coalition who has summaries of that book and a review by Shane Morris. And in fact, here's what he said, if I have it up here. I think I do. How the self-transformed sex. He says this, you're not crazy for feeling disoriented right now. Something has to change dramatically in our society watching a man win a woman's swimming championship, seeing satire accounts banned from Twitter for referring to a male public official as a man and hearing a Supreme Court nominee refuse to define woman in her confirmation hearings is all strange. It's all so very strange. And it raises the urgent question of how we got to this point and why it seems to have happened so quickly. You want to know why? Incrementally. It came in incrementally, little by little, it came in. That's why we're in the mess that we're in right now. It came in little by little. He he goes on to say that millions of our neighbors now believe that human beings can sculpt themselves into whatever they want, whatever they desire, if necessary, through hormone surgery and legislation. Yes, there are churches that espouse this spirit of the age. Yes, there are churches that espouse that, the spirit of the age. In other words, Peter was saying that the truth of the gospel will be maligned. It will be maligned. Literally, he's saying it will be blasphemed. The way of truth will be blasphemed. In Jude's letter to the church, he wrote against false teachers and the damage they cause or have caused to the unsuspecting. And he says this in Jude chapter 1 verse 23, to those who have escaped the clutches of cults, of false teachers, but at the same time, they have underwent considerable damage because of what the cults and the false teachers have done to that person or persons. And Jude says this about those people. 
It's by the grace of God, some were able to escape the clutches of these false teachers. And he said about these persons to have mercy on some of them. Have mercy on them. Have mercy on them. Who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And some have mercy with fear. Why did he say fear? Have, have mercy on some of those with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. In other words, God has pulled these people out of false teaching, out of cults who have underwent considerable damage. Have mercy on them. They've been so damaged by what has, that what, that by what has happened to them. Have mercy on them because they're so damaged, so injured by what has happened, they need immediate and spiritual bathing of the word of God upon their minds, perhaps even for years to come. And then Jude says this, to help these people who have come out of false teaching, help them who've come out of a false way of living, but do it in fear. Why does he say that? Do it in fear. Because well-meaning Christians run the risk of being polluted by the very people they're trying to help. Do you see the problem with that? Do you see that, I should say? They're so damaged that it, it, that it, and, 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 and sensitive that it's, it's, it's possible that you could be sucked into sin. So be careful. When you help somebody who's come out of whatever it is that they've come out of, be fearful. Be fearful. And there's, a, there's another kind of false teaching out there, even right now in society, right now. I had it on the, on the PowerPoint, and I didn't understand it, honestly. And now I'm kind of kicking myself because now I understand it and I wanted you to see it, but I'm just going to go ahead and read it to you, okay? It's going to be over your head just like it was mine. Here's what it says. It says says this, the body keeps score. The body keeps score. The body keeps score. The body keeps the score. If the memory, listen, if the memory of trauma is encoded in the viscera, in heartbreaking and gut-wrenching emotions, in autoimmune disorders, and skeletal-slash-muscular problems, and if mind-brain-visceral communication is the royal road to emotional regulation, this demands a radical shift in our therapeutic assumptions. You say, what in the world did he just say? It's like, Whew. Let's put the cookies on the lower shelf. Here's what this person is saying. Co- cookies, I had to do it for myself. What this man said is making inroads into churches and does for sure contain some elements of truth. to it. He's right in some of the things that he says. But false teaching always conveys elements of truth to it as well. For example, I had a very traumatic experience done to my hand back in 2013 when I was in law enforcement, which left a disturbing imprint upon me such that if somebody were to grab my right hand, my immediate response was to, to, was to want to punch them in the face. <laughs> you can say PTSD, you know? We have a word for that in our culture. And I, we call this trigger responses. Trigger responses. It should be a familiar term to all of us. I mean, I use it all the time to describe, <laughs> to, to describe a lot of things in my triggers, right? I got triggers. It's very difficult for me to, to shake that out of my vocabulary. It's difficult. I have to rewire my thinking. But it's very difficult. Now, according to this, this author, his argument is that my trauma created a new physical response in me such that it is now coded in me and is now unchangeable. It's unchangeable. In other words, this person triggered me and my response 
punching him in the face, right, caused me to act out in violence, and I can't help it. You see the problem? Do you see the problem with that? Now, let me say I've never punched anybody for grabbing me, right? (laughs) I've never punched anybody. So what does that tell you? What does it tell you? Ultimately, it tells me that I am responsible for my choices, right? I'm responsible for my actions. Either I act out with violence or I don't act out that way at all. I don't act out that way at all. It would be tempting to justify my behavior, my sinful behavior, but can I at least would say at this point the scripture needs to massage my thinking because I know this might be hard for some of you in here, okay? It is hard for me as well. Can we have the scripture massage our thinking on this? If I cannot change my response, what hope do I have? What hope do I have? What hope does any Christian in this room have if we can't change our responses? If being a follower of Christ means anything at all, it means that Christ who began a good work in me will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Right? Right? He promised that he would. It goes against his promise if I were to believe something something false. It goes against what he said. And so now I'm stuck with a dilemma, right? I'm stuck with the, I have to submit to the lordship of Christ in my life in this particular area. I have to submit. Yes, it's hard, but I have to submit because of who he is. It means that I can change. To the very core of my being, in every part of me, I absolutely can change. The old has passed away, right? And the new has come. Wow, I'm running out of time. Christ, the hope of glory. He's the only one who can empower us to change, not we ourselves, right? Let me just say a few other things here. This is the difficult thing to be a pastor, right? Let's just play along with Vanderkolk's conclusion. Say our bodies so changes us due to a given suffering because of said events. Our Christ wouldn't leave us without hope, right? He wouldn't leave us without hope. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it says, though we walk in the flesh, right? We don't war according to the flesh, yes? Because the warfare of our flesh, it, it's, it's, it's divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. You follow me here? It's divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. That idea of fortress is a metaphor for ideologies. In other words, we have a tendency to barricade our minds behind ideas that we like. And some of those ideas have, could have a tendency to bear a false message. And what the Word of God is, it puts a spotlight in said area, and it shows us where our thinking is wrong, and it goes on to spiritually rewire our thinking so that we can have correct thinking, so that we begin to change based upon what God has already promised us. But you know, false teachers, right? Because of their greed, you will be exploited. They will exploit you. I got to go ahead and summarize this. They will do what they do for money. They will do what they do for money. You see on TV, health, wealth, prosperity, gospel, right? They do what they do for money. And so I would say be grieved about the false, the future of false teachers. Because God is going to bring swift destruction upon them. Swift destruction. Their judgment is not idle. 
He sees what they've done. Listen to me. For those who have been part of cults, false teaching, and you've come out of that, God knows it. And you think, you, he's not going to let them get away. He's not going to let them get away. Their judgment is not idle. Their destruction does not sleep. And so refuse those speculations of what they've said. Refuse it. And so what can I say in conclusion here? I'm landing this plane. I'm going to crash in the plane right now. I'm going to crash this plane. Positive takeaways. Be a Berean. Don't just take my word for it. Right? Don't just take my word for it because you like me. (laughs) All right? Grow in your understanding of biblical truth and theology. Expose your family to solid biblical teaching and resources. Promote and support a good theological education. And love the Lord. Love the Lord. Let's go ahead and pray. (laughs) Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. And all of God's people said, Amen.